0: Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news, scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey.
1: Welcome to Light the Lamp. I am your host, Alexis Downey. This is episode four here on Duck Stream. The NHL preseason is underway and training camps wrapped up over the weekend, and that led to the game's beginning. The Ducks traveled down to Tucson on Sunday afternoon and began their preseason on a high note with a 3 2 victory against the Arizona Coyotes. Now, if you listen to that game or any of our radio calls over the last many years, you'll recognize the voice of Steve Carroll. Steve has been calling play by play for Ducks games for over 20 seasons. And although he has many hockey stories, his background spans a wide range of sports and he's been all across the country, 11 different states. Now, Steve joined me right here in the Korea studio to share some of his favorite moments, as well as dive into the work that he enjoys in our community. Take a listen. I'm excited to welcome in a voice that's going to sound very familiar to Ducks fans. Our radio play by play, Steve Carroll joining me now. Steve, welcome to the Korea studio.
0: It's unbelievable. <laughs> that's the first time I've been in here. I feel like I'm here royalty all around me, yourself, Paul Korea's numbers up there, pictures of them. So I appreciate the invite today.
1: And you even got a chance to sign the glass behind you and put your name in a little bit of history in the studio.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. I think that's the first time anybody in my career, which spans 48 years, has asked me to sign a window. <laughs> so uh, I'm very proud to be able to do that today.
1: Well, that long career has led you to a lot of success over the years. So I want to go back to the beginning of it and where your interest in getting into broadcast began.
0: Well, I have to be honest, I wasn't very good athletically, so I (laughs) knew I was going to be an athlete. I'm a kid that uh, I think even at age six or seven growing up in St. Louis, I had the TV on. I'd have three TVs on on January 1st watching this Cotton Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl. I was a sports nut i watched tv i listened to radio i think growing up there i attended uh, almost every st louis cardinal baseball game blues hockey game billiken basketball game as a fan i loved it and i was trying to figure out a way how to get into the sports aspect knowing i couldn't play physically but uh went to a broadcast school for it and uh i I memorized names. I could tell you all the Heisman Trophy winners. I can't anymore. (laughs) But me and my buddies hung out, waited for players after games. It was my life. And I always wanted to do hockey and baseball and started the process by uh, maybe uh, going to a thing that would put me close to it, going to broadcast school, see if I could uh, do some things radio TV wise. And it all worked out, amazing as it seems, and uh, starts in a small town, goes to where I'm at now, over close to 50 years. And when I think about it, Alexis, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a miracle, really, when you <laughs> think about it, because your lifelong dream is get to this level, and here you are, and it's like. I never believed this would have happened. So there's a lot, a lot of good things that have happened, but uh, maybe if I was a good athlete, I wouldn't be sitting here, but that was never going to work unless they had <laughs> slow pitch softball at a major league level. I was pretty good at that.
1: I feel like that's the case with a lot of broadcasters like, oh, maybe athletics wasn't really the the oh. path, but now you get to be a part of it. And I understand how special that really feels oh. to still be a part of the game. So now looking at how you got into your first job. We know if you work in the sports industry, it's not easy to get that first breakthrough position, but how did you get started? And tell me about your first broadcast.
0: Oh boy. Uh, (laughs) well, first of all, I was very fortunate going to the broadcast school. I went to, it was called the American school of broadcasting in South St. Louis, where I was born and raised, of course. And, uh, They place you. They give you an opportunity to check out maybe a station within uh, the state of Missouri or southern Illinois right across the river where you can go and get some experience. I got placed down in a small farming town called, coincidentally, Farmington, Missouri. (laughs) 60 miles south, so I could actually go home on weekends if I wanted to. But it's really interesting when you're working for a small market station. This was a 1,000 water. You might not have been able to hear it uh, six miles down the line but it was a place where you got great experience. And I went down there as a general broadcaster, ended up doing high school football, basketball, junior college basketball, but I hosted a show called Grapevine with the mayor of the city (laughs) and all the city council people taking phone calls. And it was the basic amount of experience for, for almost two years. And uh got involved with a high school football basketball doing a weekly show and uh of course thursday friday saturday mornings were busy with uh both football and uh, basketball from september probably to about february or march started a a show down there with coaches and uh, players and after each friday night specifically i'd go to the studio stay up all night produce the show get the interviews done then have live guests I can tell you this, the biggest thrill I had early on in the career was down in Farmington. Yeah, you familiar with the group America? No, I'm not. Okay, that's a little bit before your time. <laughs> I remember them quite well. They did the horse with no name, uh, big time. Uh, Dan uh, Peak was uh, one of the big riders for him, uh, Dewey Bunnell, Jerry Beckley. Well, Dan Peak lived there in Farmington, and my first- Interview was with Dan Peak, and we did an hour show and we inserted some of their hits. Ventura Highway was one of them, and that was a big thrill. He's sitting (laughs) next to him going, Hey, this is kind of neat. I remember their music. (laughs) And so I got to do that. And I do remember uh two other things that I did. I got some college basketball coaches because of the junior college in Flat River, which was the town nearby, Al McGuire longtime coach with Marquette and Digger Phelps of Notre Dame, who was coaching the Irish. Those were my first two so-called big name people. And I mean, I'm just gleaming there I'm going, I got these guys. They call me back (laughs) and put them on pre-taped them. That was a big thrill. But I have to tell you two funny stories in regards to that first job. When you're working at a small market station, you're doing everything. And uh, basically you work for stations sometimes in these small rural areas that, uh, aren't on the air from midnight to six, they just shut down. So the guy that's the engineer, the announcer, putting on the lights, putting on the coffee, the hot tea is in there first thing. And uh, you should be in there probably what, about an hour, hour and a half before. My first day in radio, this has never happened since then. We are talking almost 50 years (laughs) later, but I was late for my first day. And uh, I had just rented a room uh, about three miles away. Thank heavens I was close, but uh alarm didn't go off. I'll blame it on that because <laughs> that, that's the real truth. Didn't go off. And uh, I looked at the clock and the sun was out. So I knew I was in trouble oh, no. and I'm going, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I never put a shirt on. I had an undershirt on some shorts, and I tore speed to that station. Fortunately for me, The guy that ran the station, the GM, also had some broadcasting experience, and they have this uh, system outside where the station's glaring. I mean, you can hear it two miles away. It's so loud. So I'm driving into the parking lot, and I'm hearing the station on. I'm the guy that's supposed to be turning it on. I'm going, oh, boy, something's (laughs) not right here. Uh, I'm in trouble. Fortunately, the general manager lived within walking distance right across the street, so I figured maybe he came in. I, I'm i shaking, going in, going, my career is about to be over before it even <laughs> starts. And I walk in there, this guy's got a beard, nice guy. Uh, if he had said, get out of here or you're fired already, uh, I might not be here right now. But he looked at me, he goes, son, he puts his hand on my shoulder, you can't do this in radio, especially when you're working the morning shift. <laughs> I said, well, I don't, he goes, no, I'm just telling you, this is a learning experience. And I can honestly tell you, I have never been late for anything. On air, you know, we might have had a traffic jam where it came pretty close. You know, <laughs> I got to get to the arena and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. But uh, no, I, I learned a lesson there and uh, it, was, it was a great experience. And again, being closer to home, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to go home. But that was the start of it. And then from there, things just built and built.
1: Well, I can confirm that you were very on time and very early to come in today, too, for anyone that's listening. (laughs) (laughs) I might have
0: lost this job. Who knows? You know, you never know.
1: Well, your career has taken you to a lot of different states, 11 to be exact. I want to talk about all the different memories that you have at these different jobs and spending 32 years in the minor leagues. Let's go back to kind of the beginning of it and talk a little bit about you've covered baseball, you've covered football, basketball. What are some of your favorite memories throughout these, all the years?
0: Uh, Some of the favorite memories are some of the stories surrounding the actual (laughs) podcast, which we'll probably get to later. But uh, the first few years, you know, uh, I actually worked two or three part-time jobs besides getting experience at radio stations from there I went on to uh, Wood River, Illinois to do news at the same time, doing high school basketball and football for WIBV in Belleville. I got hired at WOKZ Alt to do junior college soccer, and then I wound up at a top 40 radio station uh, playing all the hits, Sean Cassidy, uh, Leif Garrett, uh, kind of a... Peenie Bopper type station got transferred to the other side while in the meantime, I'm doing sports. I'm still looking for jobs that could push me up, you know, the ladder and uh, trying to get some play by play jobs, but that's where you get the experience. Get them close to home to them right across the river. And uh, from there in the early days, knowing that hockey baseball is what I wanted, I figured I might have to end up doing some basketball football, which was fine. Soccer never realized that would happen, but it did. And I needed to get out of that aspect. But I'm working as a janitor in my high school, pay some extra money. I had to clean the football locker room when I got off a of shift, and I did that. Bishop de Berg High School in St. Louis. And they go, what are you doing here? I go, well, got to make a living. I worked a multi-lith printing machine in an insurance company part-time while I'm doing this radio job. He goes... You're not paying a whole lot. You know, you might be making uh, $6,000, $7,000 for, you know, three or four months of work. So you got to find some things. So I kept myself busy earning and uh, it kind of paid off because once I was done with that, I was looking for the sports job. And what I did, and people think I'm crazy when they hear some of these stories, but I sent 2,200 letters resume things from what i had that point and i did a pro football report for this uh national publication in dallas so i had a little bit of that went into the uh nfl locker rooms nhl getting you know audio things like that it wasn't really a full-time job but it helped out and i I called this guy, I found an opening in one of these radio books, and I said, well, I'm going to call, I'm wasting all this money on these letters and doing this, I might as well call, you never know. And I ran across a guy, his name was Ross Martin, he worked for the Iowa Radio Network in Des Moines, Iowa. Never thought about working in Iowa, it's too cold up there, actually, <laughs> during the winter. It's, you're I'm from St. You, Louis! I know, but it's colder there, believe me, <laughs> especially when you're doing hockey and traveling up in that area by bus in the heart of winter. Yes. And... He goes, Steve, he goes, I'm actually going to begin working and putting together an Iowa radio network for high school sports, college sports, and I want to get into some other things. We have a junior hockey team that's going to be coming here, and we've got, you know, like a minor league baseball team here, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so he said, stay in touch. So I called him for six months, but I didn't call him every week because I didn't want to bother him. You don't (laughs) do that, but you want to keep the interest there. Let them know that you know, you're know you you're excited or interested. Nothing else came up for me. Out of the clear blue, he calls me one day. He says, would you be interested in coming to Iowa? He goes, I like persistent people. That's what he told me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had high school tape, but he said, a lot of things are going to happen. So I go up there and I actually ended up working in Iowa for seven years. I, I was looking for other work because I had done everything. But what's really funny in my life is when I've taken a chance or – Selling yourself or being persistent in a professional way seems to pay off. So when I go up there, this station is new. Nobody's carrying the AAA baseball games. So it was the Iowa Cubs, the Chicago Cubs farm team mm-hmm. for seven years. They had some really good players go through there. And he said, would you be interested in doing baseball? I got a chance to get it. I go, yes. He goes, will you sell all the advertising for it? Sure, no problem. So I got into the sales aspect, marketing. And we'll talk about that later, how important that is, especially at the minor league level to be adverse, you know, just, you can't say no to anything. Right. You're, you're doing marketing, a game night operation. They have you, you doing do everything, that. everything. And the people that do it seem to be the more successful because these jobs in sports casting, foreign few, you know, mm-hmm. you have to really be fortunate sometimes. So uh, we got that done. So I ended up doing triple-A baseball for seven years there. And then, the junior hockey club started (laughs) and I had no hockey experience. I was a big blues fan growing up in St. Louis. So he goes, we're going to do some hockey games. And I'm talking to a guy who's got all the ability to put these things on. Now he's got a Mm -hmm. network and not too many people knew he was going to even open it up. So it was fortunate that, I had found him, what, six, seven months earlier. So I ended up working for the hockey team for about four years PR, junior hockey, all these small rinks, the bus trips, 10, 12 hours in the cold part of Iowa, (laughs) Michigan, uh, those kind of places. And then I wind up doing Drake women's basketball through a funny thing. They had just lost their contract with another station. So all of a sudden, three jobs are there basketball. Hockey, baseball, that's my dream. Mm-hmm. I want to get experience. And uh, that's actually where the sports aspect of it started. But, you know, stories there are just unbelievable. One, one of the best road trips I ever took, anything I've been doing all these years, is with the women's team. They played a tournament during the Ann Donovan Games. And anybody that follows uh, college women's basketball, and I enjoyed it. Coaching staff, the players were terrific uh Lynette Woodard was at Kansas at the time uh Ann Donovan was over on the east coast we went to play in North Carolina up the east coast the next week we're in Missoula Montana and just trying to get through the mountains to land that was uh the big problem there but it's cold and then we went to the University of Hawaii Portland Oregon Carvallis Oregon to play Oregon was the best road trip i ever been on. No vacation was better, so we got to see a lot of places. But I was fortunate enough to be able to do that and still spend some time working for the radio station. But that's where the basic part of my sports interest started. And you try to get better over the years, and then there comes a time where not too many people hear you in Iowa. So you got to get out there, get the best tape you can. And from there, how I got these jobs and what I did – Probably, if I hadn't done it myself in a lot of, a lot of areas and a lot of times during these job openings, I probably wouldn't be here either. But I was, I was determined and uh, persistent, and uh, you know, not over aggressive. And that's kind of some advice I would give somebody: is just be yourself, go up there, don't push anybody. But uh, you never know if you're destined to be mm-hmm. somewhere. And I never thought I'd work in Des Moines, but still have a lot of people I keep in contact with, develop some good friendships, and got some great experience there.
1: One of the places that you mentioned to me specifically was Nashville and how many jobs you had while you were in Nashville too, to yeah. sustain your life. What were you, tell our listeners what you were doing in Nashville. Oh, everything. <laughs>
0: and what's, I have to tell you this, Alexis, because it's important. When I left Iowa, I had taken uh one or two winners and they let me actually go up to New Haven to work for the Nighthawks in the American Hockey League because I wanted that tape. So I went back to Iowa. I was driving from Iowa to Connecticut on, you know, making fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. That's all I made back then. This was in the early eighties. So I wanted to get experience which eventually helped I think me get the Flyers job in here because of the people I met there. But I went up there I went up to New Haven, sold myself. I went on a plane with my dad. I said, I want the job. They had an opening. And the guy called me two hours after I got home and said, anybody that would do what you did deserves the job. I got hired there, so caused for a lot of problems. But I eventually took that particular job in Nashville based on the fact that I went to the winter baseball meetings as a minor league guy. Here I am standing (laughs) at the door of the meetings tape resume. Hi, I'm Steve Carroll. I've been with the Iowa Cubs and I'm just wondering if you have any openings. Mm -hmm. Wasn't pushy, but uh, I met a guy from Huntsville, Alabama who was the GM of the team and they were a Double A Farm Club of Oakland at the time. That's 88, 89, 90. He says, Steve, I know uh, we've talked on the phone and I don't remember that conversation, but uh, he said, I heard you might be interested in getting out of Iowa. I said, yeah. He goes, well, we're a double-A team. That'd be a step down, but we're uh, carrying uh, 15, 20 telecasts, and there's a chance you might be able to do a game or two for ESPN2. I go, really? And he goes, the other thing you got to realize is the guy that owns the Nashville Sounds franchise owns our team. I thought about it for two days. That's it. (laughs) And I said, hey, you know what? That Nashville's a pretty good market, and if something happens down in Huntsville, something might open up. So I went to Huntsville. I worked with Don Mincher, former big league player, former Anaheim Angel for a while. It was great working with farmer players, which I did a lot during the minor leagues. I learned a lot. The job opens up in Nashville. The guy retires. So they call me, say, you want to come up there? I go, for sure. I love the Mm -hmm. city of Nashville. I spent five and a half years of my life. So when because I took the Huntsville, Alabama job, that opened up, but I knew that ahead of time. I did a lot of research like, something could happen. When I got there, it was strictly Nashville Sounds. And I worked in the front office at times while all these other things are going on, but eventually wound up working for the Nashville Knights East Coast Hockey League franchise. I was actually part-time PR guy and doing their games home and away when the baseball season wasn't going. Well, then I ran into a couple of people at Vanderbilt and they were looking for someone to do their pregame halftime, and post-game shows for the college basketball team, the men's and the, uh, the football team. I'm your guy. I went in there. I just said, hey. And they, they knew that I had worked in there for a couple of years. So I ended up doing that on radio, did some uh, college basketball on TV. Then the, probably the only time that I felt really uncomfortable, they had a color analyst uh, resign, and they were in a hurry to find somebody to do their color analyst farmer coach type stuff on radio. I I told him, that's not for me. I'm not a coach, first of all. I'm doing all these other jobs. Steve, it doesn't have nothing to do with that. We can't get anybody. And I told him, no, no, no. And I said, you're going to, I'm just telling you, I don't feel confident doing it. So they said, we'll give it a try. So I wound up doing radio for a year there. And then a global basketball league team comes into play. This is like the CBA, uh, that sort of level. And there's like three or 400 people at games. There's like six, seven teams. Our team works called, fitting enough, the Music City Jammers for Nashville. <laughs> so I ended up doing their basketball games. Plus, I was bored. I wasn't doing enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kidding there. But uh, I knew all the newspaper people. They said, Steve, you want to cover some high school football or be in there? I was single. I was career oriented. I was loving it. I was involved in everything. So I did that for a year. They'd call me up and go, hey, can you just come in and uh, use the computer? Take some uh, quotes from the coach if he calls in. So I'm doing six jobs one time. No no life. No social (laughs) life. I'm traveling trying to make sure I'm here and there. And Nashville turned out to be a real stepping stone. Honestly, I didn't want to leave there. And they were close to getting the Nashville Predators at the time. You're looking at the mid-90s. But uh, then another opportunity came up. But uh, I I just want to tell you this story if I can. Uh, You talk about crazy things. I'm up doing a Nashville Sounds baseball game up in Buffalo, New York, on a Friday night. Vanderbilt football team is playing in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, against Alabama, and SEC is big-time football, Mm -hmm. so. Even if you're not broadcast, you just want to go and be involved in the atmosphere. So I'm there. They gave me permission to do the baseball. And they said, well, how are you going to get to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, if you're in Buffalo at 8 or 9 o'clock and the game's at 1? I said, I don't know. So the university got the so-called big-time sponsors that had private planes and everything. When the baseball game ended, on a Friday night, they had a limousine pick me up, take me to Toronto. I had a two hour layover. I flew from Toronto to Nashville, got in like at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. They had this private plane for me and I flew into Tuscaloosa. I was down there two hours for the game and certainly you should be at your broadcast site. And again, not knowing what the coaches even said this week, not right. getting the knowledge and, uh, I was, I was a nervous wreck and I went in and I didn't do a very good job. I was so exhausted, but that's just one of the type days that I had, but I loved what I was doing. Absolutely. And so to get back, the Nashville thing was tremendous. And the only reason I left at the time was, uh, got the Philadelphia Flyers job.
1: Was there a moment in your career where you realized, you know, I, I want to start balancing my life out a little bit and you, you felt the need to change it a little.
0: It's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Uh, I had a good time growing up, especially, uh, when I was, I, I didn't even tell you this, but I, uh, worked in five different nightclubs in St. Louis during the disco era. I forgot to tell you that.
1: So are there photos from this? uh yeah but you're never gonna Do you see have them. any of those outfits no, still no, no. <laughs> i would love to see no, that <laughs> but i forgot to tell you
0: that with all those stations i worked at i worked at the rock and roll and a disc jockey said hey i'm gonna be missing two days a week you want to do it this place is called the godfather's restaurant goombas and i end up working at a place called like club malachi the mill sunset disco and i'm thinking <laughs> this is neat and you know what they pay you pretty well to do that i was making mm-hmm. more doing that so I went there, and then they had me running these dance contests. If you ever see me on a dance floor, I'm just telling you, it's not for watching. It's (laughs) just standing there. A lot of it is shyness, but I ended up having to learn a little bit of the steps to go out and judge who the best disco dancers were. So anyway, I had my social life and Mm -hmm. some things that maybe uh, won't be (laughs) gifts down the line. But yeah, I was up and was single though. I was 48, so I, I had some good times during that, but I just... I, when an NHL job comes calling, you take it, especially when that's been your goal. And uh, what's really funny, Alexis, and this is a true story, and it goes along with, I think, having confidence that you've never been to that level and you're starting to get older. Will this ever happen? Friend of mine, Pete Weber, longtime NHL broadcaster, I worked with him in the minors, calls me up and says, do you know the Philadelphia Flyers have a job opening? He goes, send your tape. And this is a month before the season starts. Mm. So they're in a hurry. I said, "Ah, Pete, I'm not going to do it. I said, I like Nashville. I'm not going to get this job. I just lost confidence that I've been working for so long, 20-something years, and like, I'm not going to get a break. He says, Steve, I'm telling you, send the tape. I didn't send it for two or three days. He calls me back. He goes, send the tape. (laughs) I sent the tape, and I eventually wound up with the job. 2 weeks before the season started and which was great because then even though the time there was short they went through three of us in 3 years a lot of politics involved and I lost the job and I was out of work for 9 months after that when I thinking I should have just stayed in Nashville I I'm I'm set there for life if I want to be probably and uh I got the job they liked the tape and the positive thing was I had an NHL tape then so i didn't have all this high school stuff college they could hear what you sound like there and uh i was out of work so again i had to find work i ended up working selling billboards at an ice rink and uh, ended up doing a lot of uh, community relations media pr marketing sales in the meantime at a lot of these minor league facilities so i had that experience so i could I worked part-time at a theater selling movie tickets. (laughs) And it's crazy, but you know what? You got to do what you got to do. And you're single and not rich by any means. You're struggling, and that didn't work out. So I pick up a phone. It's so important this for especially young people. Don't ruin what you just did. Uh, Even if you didn't like your job, don't mess with connections. Treat people right because you never know when you're going to need somebody to make a call for you. Are you somebody in a high position that you might've worked with 20 years before? Sure enough, a couple of people down in New Orleans, they had a baseball team. were just starting a new franchise in the East Coast Hockey League, the New Orleans brass. <laughs> and I got hired down there. But before I got the job, I took a job because I was out of work for nine months for $500 a month. Selling group sales for the New Orleans Zephyr, which was a triple A team of Houston, going down there, not, not knowing what was going to happen. But at the same time, the city was going to get a hockey team. And mm-hmm. we put in a rink. Well, I was there from the start of it, doing everything uh, with two or three other people. They didn't know if it was going to be successful. We turned a Mardi Gras building into a rink right outside. <laughs> The French Quarter. And that was a big mistake putting it there because I gained a lot of weight eating there at the (laughs) French Quarter. And I had to exercise a lot, but it was a perfect situation. I was in there, some of the coaching things that were going on, PR. It was like, hey, you're here at the start of this. But at the end of the day, I was still looking to maybe get back. And the very positive thing is, like you asked me about, I met my wife down there a month before I left. So there's a reason. I was put in New Orleans. I believe in those kind of things. So I do too. It's working out. And from New Orleans, I just—I won't go into a long <laughs> detail. I've told you the story, but you know, I'm doing a broadcast down in Pensacola, Florida, and some guy who's never been in the minor leagues, a broadcaster who I never met. He's in his fifties. His name's Paul Chestnut. I'm telling you, it couldn't have been more than three, four, five minutes before I go on the air. Comes up, puts his hand on me and says, Steve, I can't believe you lost the Philadelphia job, but I know it's a, it's a difficult situation. Other guys have come and gone too. And he says, I just feel bad for you. So he walks away. I'm looking at my clock. This is a true story. There's 40 seconds before I go on the air. He comes back to me and says, keep your eyes, ears open. There might be a job opening in Anaheim. This guy I never met before. Mm-hmm. Walks back. If I'm not in New Orleans, I'm, I'm doing a game in Pensacola, even though it's going back down to the East coast level. I never hear about the possibility of this. And then the wheels go and, you know, start working like that's, that's really weird. I, I don't know anybody out here, but it's funny, the context that you made mm-hmm. early on and it all comes back, but you have to make the sacrifice and Do what you have to do. If you have a passion for what you do, you can deal with a lot of the stuff. And, you know, all those years in the minor leagues, I loved it. But you want to get at least one chance. And I had a chance in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out. So I get a second chance. And you just want to take advantage of it. And quite honestly, 22 seasons here have been unbelievable. I can't believe, and I'm, I'm in my late 60s now, that I'm in the National Hockey League. I mean, it actually happened. And I had, I get emotional about it. I had so many times where I never thought it would happen. And all you want is one chance. Well, I had the chance, but it was kind of out of my control. I didn't do anything personally to not stay on there. It's political. That's what it is in some cities and that. So here I am, and all <laughs> that work and all those experiences paid off. Lots of doubts throughout the years, but... I did what I had to do, and I wanted to make sure if it didn't work out that I did everything I possibly could. And you kept connections with other people. And, again, it's amazing how you run into those people down the line sometimes.
1: It's really an incredible story for you. Oh, it is? For the many years and now to get here. But one of the other things that I find very incredible about you is your passion to be a part of the community as well. You volunteered in hospitals, and you also volunteer – at a prison as well to teach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, where does this passion come from for you?
0: I don't know. You know, it's funny, and I apologize for this, but I get emotional mm. when you even think about that. Uh, I think you consider yourself fortunate to be where you're at. And even though it was a lot of work, you know, you're running with a lot of people that never see their uh, dreams fulfilled, and you see a lot of people, and I ran into, well, even family members that, passed away before their time and you're going, you know what, that's unfortunate. And then it's, it's just life. But one thing I've always tried to do, and I think it comes with like working for hockey clubs at the minor league level and baseball clubs, you're on people all the time. And you become friends with a lot of those people. I have a lot of people from Des Moines, Huntsville. I got a call from St. Louis the other day, (laughs) from some guy whose son used to come to the games wow and uh, he's autistic and i stayed in touch with him and we're going to st louis this year i'm gonna get a chance Mm -hmm. to see him for the first time in 20 years or so that's awesome and and they're they're just good people and you know what they're like me because when i went to st louis blues games i I had standing room tickets for three years me and my buddy went there stayed after games got autographs (laughs) you ever want to see an autograph collection Oh, I've got him here. Yeah. I don't tell anybody where it's at because it's, I personally got things done. Even going to Cardinal baseball games, uh, season ticket holder, I, Mm -hmm. I waited for players and things like that after games. I was, I was a different guy (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) I realized I got to spend more time doing other things, but that's what I did. So, uh, I think the people I met along the way that were both influential on me, kind of outside sports too. And then uh, you're around people living their life, maybe don't even like their job, and you see they're struggling, and you feel like you're fortunate. And I never made a ton of money in this business, and uh, till you get to the like NHL level, and you know, you know, we had COVID, we missed a lot of games last year, so it's always something. But I, I just think that you know you hear all these things going on in life now where people don't like each other, all the evil and that. It's like, there's so many good things too. And the one thing that can keep your life straight, you know, good and bad, that line in between is maybe get involved and do something, giving it back. And I really got into it in Iowa because they used me for all the PR thing. I was, I was the mascot. Well, I got trapped under a tarp one day. I was late for a visit. That's another long story. But uh, I I enjoyed being with people. And uh, and you got to get along with people. Uh, it's, life isn't fun. Uh, job isn't fun if you don't have it. But I've just had some things happen, opportunities. And in Nashville in particular, working for all those teams, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, get some tickets to games, and I said, you know what, who could use this the most? And it's kids in hospitals that are in poor health. Maybe we can get them out to a game. Their families give them a night away, and I got heavily involved in that. Uh, my sister has had lupus for 30-plus years and uh, got involved with the Lupus Foundation there. We got some golf tournaments underway. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be more than just that giving away. And uh, I went over to Vanderbilt uh, Children's Hospital and. Uh, started visiting our, our players weren't available like the baseball team, the Nashville sounds all the time. And one year we didn't do a lot of the road games. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go over there and see if I can help out or whatever. And, you know, got into the habit of visiting sick kids once a week. And I loved it because I felt fortunate. I felt bad for them, but it's not a thing that makes you feel good. It, you know, you feel like you're doing something, but people have to do that. And, you know, at some point, everybody's affected by something, whether it's family and illness, and I've been pretty fortunate up to that point. So I just went in, got to know families, and uh, some of the things I saw, it was just just incredible, young kids losing their life, and, uh, you know, you want to be there, there's not much you can say, but you're there, and you're doing it because you want to, you don't want it for the publicity, but... It makes you feel good. And sometimes, Alexis, it's it's strange how it works, but sometimes you know you're supposed to be doing it. When you try it, things happen in life. And I've had a lot of those things happen in the last 20 years where I'm supposed to be doing that. And uh, so that's where it all kind of started. Uh you give tickets like to the buddies in Asheville, to some of the veterans who come back from war. And uh, I've been fortunate here because I've run into the people that I've been connected with and uh, with, with the with the prison uh, ministry I've been involved in for five years. It's not a whole lot going on now because of COVID and things mm-hmm. like that, but I got into it and I know I'm supposed to be doing it. I could tell you story after story, like what am I doing here? And But that has helped me in some areas. Maybe somebody's having an issue or in trouble where, I'm right there in the middle of things, and it has been one of the most unbelievable experiences. Uh, Went through training and been a lot of places, seen a lot of people, and uh, I love doing it. And, you know, the other thing is the hospitals, and uh, I've had a chance to visit a few here, but somewhere down the line, and hopefully I'm around here, another five, six years or so at least, and uh, be able to get involved because there's so many people in need, and when you have the opportunity to do it, From the heart, you do it. You don't waste any time. And uh, that's been probably the thing that's had the most effect on me. It's not getting the job at this level. It's being there to help people because that's what life's all about. When you read and hear all this stuff that's going on, it's like, can't people get along? There's so much stuff going on where people can be positive and do this. And these people are struggling and you guys are arguing about this and that. And I'd rather be there where you can be of help or even say something. Say say hello, or bring something uh, a a ducks, you know, article memorabilia, maybe a cap that I've accumulated over the years. Don't tell the people here, but I got a few. But uh, just do that, and it makes somebody's day goes by good, and you have no effects. You have you have no thoughts, or know the effects that that little thing had on somebody, and if it makes somebody happy, more power, because that's what life's all about.
1: That's really beautiful. So, now, obviously, you're a busy man. You you were talking about doing all these things in the community, yeah. all your broadcasts. But what are some other things that you like to enjoy as well? well? I like Watching sports.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you know what? Honestly, I watched almost every playoff game this past off season, and I uh, watched the junior tournament because it's hockey related. Mm-hmm. Like to travel. It's kind of difficult for a family to travel right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you want to go see the folks. Everybody is gone except for one in my family. So that's kind of tough to uh, get back. I have a sister in St. Louis. But you you just you know what you do? You put yourself around people you want to be around too. Like like the other day, we're over at the rink and there's people I've known here for 20 years. And you know what? You don't see them because of the COVID thing. We can't do this, do that. And it's kind of nice to relive. And I'll tell you what, you spend some time with them just as friends, not even hockey talk. And I've met so many good people here. They're connected to the things that I'm involved in. And, uh, It's funny, things that have happened to me, like, you know, prison thing, and even the hospital things, and I'd certainly like to get more involved in that here soon, but there's a reason that you're there, and you don't know it till you experience it, and then maybe months later, when you find out what's happening, it kind of puts a good feeling in your chest that, you know what, I'm glad I found out about this, because maybe at least for a while... You made somebody happier. They got to talk to somebody hockey-related. And during the minor leagues, you were always out with players. You know, you can't do that here at the NHL level. Everybody's got their own department in that. But just just do something nice. And it's amazing how good you feel about it. And uh, that's, that's kind of it. I, and I know nobody will believe this, but uh, I do work out six days a week. <laughs> and uh, I, get, I get harassed on the road sometimes, too, because I'm one of the first – that's right, Dave Schenker, and some of you others are in there late. Yeah. I'm in there first. I love it. Uh, I think it's important to take care of yourself. Like I said, I'm getting up into the mid-60s, upper 60s, and it makes my whole day go well. And uh, what I did, uh, Alexis, is I said, you know what? Some days I just don't feel like going to the fitness club. So I went ahead and purchased everything. I said, you know what? I need a <laughs> treadmill, an elliptical trainer, uh, elliptical And then a stationary bike got a few weights. There's no excuses. So I'm down there, except it's kind of dark at five or six in the morning and our lights in our garage don't work that well. So I got to put the lights, open the door, see the light outside so I can see how much time I'm going today. But I enjoy doing that. And, you know, traveling with the team is nice, too. You get to maybe run into some people you haven't seen for a while. But just the job itself is meaningful. We have great neighbors. We do a lot of things with them. So I'm very, very fortunate that things have worked out this way. But then again, a reminder, people just starting out, kids, sometimes you got to overcome a lot of adversity. you got to self-sell. And just, just don't do anything that riles people up in your past, too, because you never know when that person might be in a position to help you. And if you've had a bad experience, let it go. Don't do it. That's That's my advice to people. I get asked all the time, well, you know, you run into people. Well, all I did was I went in there and did my job. I had passion for the job. I Mm love what I do. I don't care. At that time during the minor league days, I wasn't that concerned about the money, just all the experiences that I have now. And it's, it's terrific. I feel like I've done a lot of things people don't have a chance to do it. The other thing is the travel part of it, too. I like the traveling part. Been all over. We were fortunate enough to play over in Finland, Sweden. Mm -hmm. Been over to London. I don't know if I'll ever be over there. Uh, (laughs) uh, Just on my own. But that's been kind of a nice thing. And, you know, to top that off, uh, we got some great people here, too. Uh, Been here since 99. And uh, been treated very well. And uh, had a lot of fun at all the events, like Ducks and Tucks. And, uh, just to name one, we do so many things here. It's, it's amazing what this organization does. And I told him, I said, if you need somebody to do 40, 50 events, let me know. (laughs) I love doing them. And it's, it's just part of life. And maybe you want to leave the earth and I don't think about it every day. I like to be around another 50 years, but (laughs) I think you get to that hundred mark, it might not work, but I just want to enjoy myself and have something to think about when the day comes. You know i had a good time i did something good and uh i'm okay i have no regrets or anything like that on uh what's happened over the last 70, 80 years
1: do you have a moment in your career with the ducks specifically that sticks out on the broadcasting side that you think about that call and it was just so special to you
0: well the first day of my job i'm going holy cow, i with the Anaheim Ducks. They're pretty famous organization. I'm going, am I really here? I'm looking around. Oh, yeah, there's a Ducks logo, Mighty Ducks logo. So that was pretty special, but there's so many. And I, this is a funny short story, and I hope you don't get bored with all these stories, but <laughs> it's, it's amazing when I think about it. When I was growing up, I was never good athletically, as I told you. And before I went to bed at night, I don't know if I should tell the story or not, but I listened to Cardinal baseball, football, hockey, and St. Louis Hawks basketball. I listened to those guys every night. I took a radio to the games. I would lay in bed before I went to sleep and do play-by-play. I know it sounds corny, crazy, but I would just go, Dan Kelly is my idol. He's a St. Louis Blues announcer, and I just try to emulate a game. Uh, Even when I was at the game watching it, just try to do some things before I even knew I was going to get into this business. And that was enjoyable listening to those people. So I tried to get as much as I can watching all kinds of TV games on radio, announcers at every single level, because there's some good ones in the minor leagues too, that might not ever have an opportunity to get to this level. That's why we're fortunate. But the Stanley Cup, to be laying in bed and dreaming, this was before I got started in broadcasting, like, wouldn't it be neat to be able to call a Super Bowl game, uh, World Series, or Stanley Cup? I got to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, that's amazing. So the night we win the Stanley Cup, and you knew you were going to win it when we got up by a couple of goals, it's like, my gosh, this is actually happening. <laughs> and you're sitting up there going, don't get the final call wrong. And I, I had written mm. down a couple of things just to make sure I didn't repeat them because you'll let your emotion run over, but don't mess it up because you can say, Hey, I called the Stanley cup final and Hey, it was okay. Uh, that's kind of the way I wanted it. But to be at that moment, now you're not a member of the team so-called on the ice, but you're there going, my gosh, from where I started, I got to call Stanley cup final. And mm-hmm. you start thinking about all the efforts in it, which I did that night, that night was special. And the, the players that have been here, the the cup year with the the start of the team and, uh, and I don't want to leave any players out, but over the years, the Salatis, the Koreas, the Niedermeyers, the Prongers, and the young kids, the coaching staff, it's been quite a run here. I mean, this is amazing. And there's a, uh, few other games that stand out. One in particular is uh, a game in 2003 where, hey, we were one game away from winning a second Stanley Cup. You think about it. You know, we go to game seven of the finals against New Jersey, but earlier in that playoffs, J.S. Chaguer's goaltending acrobatics, first round against Detroit. I've never seen anything like that in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was tremendous. And then later on, we had a five-overtime game in Dallas, Texas. Now. My first year, I had a broadcast partner, and they decided to get rid of the actual position. So I did the games in their entirety for four years. So I'm doing this five-overtime game, and I remember it because I'm just going, you get to the point where, well, we're up in the series maybe. Right, just get this <laughs> thing over with. We'll be all right. I've had enough because you're just you're dying up there is what you're doing. And we go to five overtimes, and then Peter Sikoric scores a goal, and you're just like drained. And you're not going to see anything like that probably down the line. And then you look at a score sheet and you see our defenseman at the time who later went on to do a little bit of radio with me. We had a bunch of players coming in during those early years after we came back. I think I did games with 20 different players. They wanted to just have new voices on there. It was, it was great. It was fun because I learned a lot about the game from different guys that played different spots. And you know, that, again, that, that overtime game's over with, but the emotion of that, I'm looking down at the score sheet, and Keith Carney was our defenseman. Do you know he played 56 minutes that game? Now think about it. A regular game's about 60 minutes, mm-hmm. doesn't go to OT, showed you know, out whatever. And I'm thinking, he almost played an entire game, and he had 83 shifts. And I'm thinking. Wow. And, and I actually forgot. In fact, before I came here, I looked to make sure that I was going to say the right number because I. I still find that hard to believe, but <laughs> that one stuck out. And then I, I believe oh, it was a Steve Levy made the famous TV call, like the game that would never end. And I can, <laughs> uh, I'm right there with him. He was in the booth next to me and I'm going, that about says it right because I didn't think it was going to end. I thought they might have to call a timeout, start the rest of the uh, overtime the next day because I didn't think it was ever going to get over with But Those kind of things, the players, the personalities, uh, you know, it's all there. And we've had so many runs here with this hockey club, you know, Western conference final, you know, the Chicago's big series with the Kings, the Nashville rivalry. And, you know, we're we're pretty fortunate here when you think about it. I, mean, I go to some of these franchises and you know, they haven't even been in the playoffs for five, six years. What's it like? Well, it's pretty fun. It's, it's pretty nice. And I think the fans really appreciated the clubs we put together here and just the individuals over the years. You, you can't ask for a better group and the way this whole thing has been put together. And now we have yourself a big addition to our group. And by the way, you're going to be very, very good. You're, you're good already. You got a bright future. <laughs> Thank You're, you. you're doing a terrific job. We look forward to hearing you on our pregame show all the time. Some of the things are happening with this duck stream on the radio side. Unbelievable. The podcast there's not too many other teams that are going to be doing things like we're doing with the players, coaches, and uh, part of that is you. Part of that is uh, going ahead and getting the steel done, and it's great. I don't know if you can find better coverage. The TV guys do a terrific job, and it's a pretty good group here because I think we've all worked with people that uh, maybe you don't feel comfortable around sometimes with all the egos and things like that in this business, but very fortunate here to to not have that, and uh, I wouldn't give up. Anything for all the years I've been here. Like I said, hopefully it's another few years, and we get some playoff runs when these young guys develop. And uh, we're going to be good, folks. I'm telling you, Pat Verbeek is going to do a terrific job. Have a good coaching staff. We have some good young players with some veterans, and it's going to be a process. Development doesn't come right away, but you watch. This team is going to be competitive for a playoff spot. I'd like to see it you now three quarters of the year where you're right there, striking distance, and you never know what's going to happen, but Look ahead to the next few years. He done a nice job with the drafts, and uh, we're going to acquire some other players too And down the line. Hey, it's all good, and you're going to have some fun times here at the Honda Center.
1: Well, right now we've gotten through training camp. We had yeah. one preseason game as we're speaking right now. How are you feeling about the team on the ice that we have?
0: Well, it's funny. It's it's a very professional-looking uh, training camp, and I think a lot of the new additions, coaching staff, and Pat and his group of people I have a lot to do with that. Hardworking kids, no nonsense on the ice uh, during the uh, skates. Uh, it was it was fun here the other day when uh, what was it Sunday? No when. What was it the other day? We had the beach uh, It was Saturday. Saturday. So many things yes. going on here, and I enjoyed it. Had a talk to talk to had a chance to talk to some fans, and they said, "Hey, you know what? There's some good guys here, aren't there?" And I said, "Yeah, there are." And you look at some of these young kids. Uh, we were just in uh, Arizona hours ago, and I'm watching three or four of these kids play. Guy like Isaac Lundestrom, for example, gets a few points yesterday, and I had heard Isaac Lundestrom, more of a defensive player, and you can see the improvement in his game over the last year or two. Makes you excited knowing about him because you're hearing, you know, you're hearing Trevor egresses and those type names, Troy Terry's, and that. But there's other young guys coming here too. Some maybe aren't ready for this level, but some are, and just young players like that, like Lundestrom. Uh, we had the uh, Lanou kid that played. Over in Arizona, had a couple of points, and you're there watching him going, I don't remember too many players making those type of plays in the first preseason game, in your first game with the Anaheim Ducks, and just things that hang out. And how about for local hockey fans here? It's always special when a local hockey player makes an NHL team, baseball team in their own community where they grew up. Rocco Grimaldi has a really special day yesterday. And you're watching a young man like Chase DeLeo playing with him on a few ships. That is special. And I'll tell you something. I don't know. I'm not a coach. I'm just here. Uh, they get my opinion. Uh, I'd love to see a guy like a Rocco Grimaldi make the team guy that's, Built up his hockey career, started from this area. I had a chance to visit with him in Nashville, what, about a year or two ago, and nice young man. He stood out. Uh, I'm telling you what, he's one of the best players on the ice uh, in the Arizona preseason game. So the combination of those type kids, the draft picks that are going to be going down, maybe junior, the San Diego guys, maybe they still have something to deal with, work with, uh, get better in a certain area. I like what I see here. Uh, You know, you know, a good example of that is Mason McTavish. We were privileged to do the uh, rookie tournament last year. And I'm telling you, this is a true story, Alexis. The first period I saw that kid play, I go, there's something special about this kid. Just the way he played, he performed, gave you 100% physical, could shoot the puck, could score some goals. I go, you know, I keep eyes on him and Look at what this young man's accomplished at an early age with first of all, all the different cities and teams he was playing for last year. That's tough. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, how good you are. And then he comes in here. I watched the world junior and the remarkable play to keep the fuck out of the net. That's, yeah, you know, that doesn't happen to a lot of hockey mm-hmm. players. You got to have that sense knowing where to be in that. And, uh, he's, I think he's off to a pretty good start here with just, what you see, the rookie tournament was a little bit different thing, but uh, if you get a few kids like that, and then you add Frank Vedderano, you add Ryan Strom, and guys that have a little bit of NHL experience, and then these other young kids start developing, you know, you've got, you know, your Trevor Zegers is there, you know, you've got your Jamie Drysdale coming up. Now you add a few pieces, yeah, uh, you know, even like a couple of the defensemen we have. What an addition! John Klingberg is to this hockey club, uh, offensively power play, just veteran leadership there, even though he's still a pretty young guy in my mind, but it changes the whole complexion of the hockey club. you got some veterans there that can help the young kids. Cam Fowler, uh, we know what he's all about. Then you get a guy like a Kulikov, a Vacanine, and especially defensively that have a chance to make an impact, make a team, be a regular player there. And you put all these guys together, you have a veteran like Kevin Shattenkirk there that's a leader, and all of a sudden you've seen uh you've seen an improved defense. We'll see how it goes early. You want John Gibson to be good, and I think he will be. I think there were some circumstances you know just the adversity the team faced with not winning games and uh And let's hope they give him some support offensively because he's one of the elite goaltenders. I I always rated him in the top four or five in the league. And if he has that kind of year, you know, you're going to be in games and we got to score some goals and it's going to be interesting moving forward, how these lines shape up. But if you look at the top two lines in my mind, you got some quality people. A lot of them are still young, Mm -hmm. but it's just, it's a different look. And then, Lundestrom yesterday in Arizona is playing on a third line and you're seeing these fourth line guys that there just seems to be some good people and they're all competing for a job. So I think based on that, the competitiveness of it and new management and uh, just the way Pat Verbeek played, I have a lot of respect for that. I think if you know anything about him, how he played, that 100% effort, the type of player he was, has to at some point rub off. If you're dealing with your team and players and they know anything about him and you're going to say, hey, this is what I have to do to impress this guy and vetted Craig Johnson to the coaching staff. I Honestly, I know I'm here talking Ducks hockey and try not to be negative anytime, but I just have a special feeling that coming up in the next couple years, fans are going to like what they see add a few more pieces, get off to a good start. And we have a tough, tough schedule here with all these road games the first three months. If you're in the hunt, who knows what'll happen? But let's keep our fingers crossed. And I know the fans are looking forward to it. They're excited. And uh, so am I. I know you are too.
1: Absolutely. Steve, so great to have you for the first time here on Light the Lamp on DuckStream.
0: I hope that doesn't run into any other buddy's program that was scheduled because I think I went on and on and on, but I appreciate the time and feel free to cut out anything you don't want.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Awesome to hear the perspective Steve has on the industry as well as the many stories that he shared from his long career. Now, the Ducks preseason will continue this week with a game Tuesday in San Jose. Then they'll be back at home at Honda Center Wednesday versus the Coyotes and Friday night as well versus San Jose again. Now that's my final quack for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to Light the Lamp and come back next time for more hockey talk here on DuckStream.
0: This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.